Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. We've been exploring what it means from the inside out, drawing upon ideas in Bob Rummett's book, Living Originally, 10 Spiritual Practices. We've only been exploring or will explore the five that he identifies as core practices for living originally. And to remind you, the idea of living originally is living from the inside out, from center to circumference, from the very core, the very core of our essence, the very core of our being. In the first week, we explored what he calls radical self-awareness, radical self-awareness. And this is very much an inner individual practice, to be fully present and attentive to what's going on within us and to be able to name it. And I've encouraged you to explore Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart, to help expand your vocabulary, to be able to be more aware and able to name what it is that is your inner experience. Because really, until we are able to do that, we're quite limited in being able to understand and being able to heal and being able to move forward. So radical self-awareness. And then from that, we can move into what Bob calls deep self-acceptance. And they're different. They're not exactly the same thing. We begin with being aware, we begin with being able to notice and pay attention to what it is that is our inner experience as we deal with whatever is going on in, in our lives and, and to name it. But then we also have to be able to accept it. And he made the point, and we explored it in depth in that second week, that it's not about the outer, it's about accepting what's going on inside of us, meaning being able to be with it without defense, without resistance, without aversion, to just be able to be with it, not adding any more layers of story on top of it that only makes it that much heavier and that much more difficult. And both of those practices, core foundational practices, are very personal. They all deal with us, what's going on inside of us. And then last week we looked at unlimited forgiveness, at unlimited forgiveness. And it's really kind of a bridge because there are times that we need to be practicing forgiveness of ourselves, where we've fallen short of what or how we want it to be, or maybe we did something really wrong, really hurtful. But it's also about unlimited forgiveness toward the other, starting with the ones that are maybe easiest for us to start with, and realizing that forgiveness begins with a decision, very much like the opening song you sang for us, Daniel, love is my decision. Well, forgiveness begins with the decision to forgive. And sometimes that can be tough. And I shared with you one of my own practices that came about as a result of my trying to really work forgiveness at a very deep level 
towards something very painful in my life. Knowing that forgiveness is important for me, for my healing. And finally, one day I realized I have to want to want to forgive. That was my starting point. To want to want to forgive. So there's a decision. And then there's the experience and the process of healing that happens with forgiveness. And so each of these then kind of builds upon the other and brings us to this fifth one that we're, fourth one that we're looking at today. And that is universal benevolence. Say that with me. Universal benevolence. Universal benevolence. I've been hearing the word benevolence in the common vocabulary a little bit more of late than I used to. The idea of benevolence, the disposition, the desire to do good. And I was doing a little bit of poking around the internet and researching a variety of definitions of the word benevolence, and I came upon something that, that kind of tracked the use of the word benevolence over course of history. And it seemed to be very popular in the early 1800s. And for, for about the first 20, 30, 40 years, the word benevolence or benevolent was used quite frequently. And then this sharp drop from about 1900 forward. I'm curious, I don't know why, but I'm curious, such a precipitous drop in talking about a quality of being that I think is essential to our personal well-being, but is also essential to our being able to do our part of creating a world that works a little bit better for all of us. And so when Bob writes about the idea of benevolence, he encourages us to not think of it only in terms of ourselves and those that we're closest to. And it's why he uses the, the, the word in front of it, universal benevolence. When you think of universe, you think of all, when I think of universe, I think of something vast. I think of something that is ever expanding, that really has no limits, that is 360, that goes in all directions. And again, starting with where we are and working it in concentric circles of influence, if you will. There's no question that in some places and in some relationships, this idea of benevolence is much easier to practice, right? And then there are those places and relationships and events that happen where it's particularly difficult. Bob writes, benevolence comes from a Latin word meaning a, dispo a disposition of goodwill and kindness. Universal benevolence is extending this disposition to all people and ultimately to all sentient beings. It's not so much about feeling benevolent as it is about cultivating the intention to approach all with benevolence. I want to read that last to you. It really struck me when I first read it in this book, that it's not so much about feeling benevolent as it is about cultivating the intention to approach all with benevolence. So what if we get in our car during rush hour traffic with the intention to approach every driver on the road with the energy of benevolence? Might we drive a little differently? I know I would. 
I told you years ago after coming back from one of my dialogues or our dialogues with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I was really irritated. I was in a hurry to get home and I was driving like an irritated driver and hurry, hurried to get home. And all of a sudden I visualize His Holiness sitting in my passenger seat. And in that, <clears throat> in that instance, my driving became very different. Benevolent, an intention to, to drive with goodwill, to drive with goodwill. It's about keeping our heart as open as possible. There was a minister in Unity that I was quite close to. She passed just a few years ago. Her name was Reverend Mary Umwake developed a beautiful work in Overland Park, Kansas, and then a work in Maui. And she was really one of the first ministers that I heard use the idea of open heart again and again and again and again. And it really struck me, this idea of just trying to live my life with more of an open heart. And so I appreciated when I was reading this chapter in Bob's book how he wrote about the importance of practicing the intention. It's not about doing it perfectly, because we're not going to do it perfectly. The only way we can fail at it is if we don't try at all. But it's to approach our lives as best we can with this open heart. And Bob suggests that there are three things we can do to help keep our heart open. And those three things are cultivating appreciation, cultivating kindness, and cultivating generosity. Cultivating appreciation, kindness, and generosity. And so I want to unpack those for us just a little bit. The idea of cultivating appreciation helps to soften our heart. Think of appreciation as a softening of the heart. And cultivating kindness is about opening the heart. And cultivating a generosity of spirit is about extending the heart. I was thinking about this word appreciation as I was going over my, my lesson over the weekend and this weekend of appreciation. So when we think of appreciation, we, we think of recognizing the quality and value of someone or something, right? When we appreciate, we are noticing and we are recognizing the quality or value, a positive quality or value of someone or something. Bob writes, one way to recognize your own value is to practice appreciating others. At the psychological level, we experience our personal value by receiving appreciation. At the psychological level, we experience our personal value by receiving appreciation from others. But he writes an interesting point here. He follows it and says, at the spiritual level, so he's contrasting the psychological to the spiritual. At the spiritual level, we experience our inherent value by giving appreciation to others. That which is innate in us can best be discovered by expressing it to others. Appreciation brings something good or positive into focus. I was thinking about that. Appreciation brings into focus. Think about it. Think about the last time you really appreciated someone or something. 
Can you bring it to mind? You would have had to engage bringing in that thing into your conscious awareness. You would have been paying attention to it, right? You would see it. You would notice it. You would recognize it. And that is, I think Bob's right, helps us to soften our heart, to get out of the routine way, maybe, of just looking at someone or something. A very simplistic practice in unity and in new thought, something we teach the children in, in Sunday school, is to look for the good and find it. It's a way of saying, when I look for the good, I'm going to appreciate it. I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to call it forth. And that softens the heart. And Bob would say, then that leads us to kindness. Kindness being an experience that opens the heart. So think about it. When you appreciate someone, you are probably more likely to extend that appreciation with an act of kindness, right? An act of kindness, a genuine, warm-hearted, friendly feeling. I like the, the phrase warm-hearted, just a warm-hearted feeling. You've been on the receiving end of that, have you not? Where someone's just really opened their heart to you, and they have been friendly to you and warm-hearted to you, and you, you feel it. You feel it. Remember Maya Angelou's statement, her quote, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel, how we made them feel. This is accessible to any one of us to show up in life with a kinder energy, a friendlier energy, a genuinely warmer energy. Are we going to be successful every time? Of course not. But the practice isn't, the practice is not done for what we may get back as a result of practicing it. The practice is done for what we become as we intend and then work toward practicing the very thing. Kindness. Share a little personal quick thing here with you. So as our daughter, Jennifer, has been um, coming out of the pandemic, like most young millennials, eager to, to expand her circle of friends and eager to, to find a significant other and to date. One of the things when she talks about somebody that she's been communicating with or is going to go out with, her dad or I, or her brother, older brother, will say, well, is he nice? Is he nice? And actually, it was our son. I correct myself here. It was our son who said, Mom, we don't want to talk about nice. We want to go for kind. And I said, tell me what you mean by that. Tell me what you mean by that. And I really liked how he unpacked it and talked about it. He said, anybody can be nice. Nice is kind of an outer practice. It's kind of manners and behaviors. Not that there's anything wrong with that, and we could use a lot more nicety and niceness in the world, I think. But he said, you know, kindness is something different. Kindness is about your heart. It's about your soul. Let's help her go for kindness, right? And I think of, of a line in your song, Daniel, as best I can. My home, my house will be a kindness home, a kindness. You didn't say nice house, right? You said kind, it, because there's a difference there. 
So it's about cultivating that within us. And Jennifer, if I overset my bounds wherever you are up there, I'm sorry. But maybe somebody will say, I want to meet that girl. <laughs> and then it builds. So a softening of the heart through appreciation, right? And an opening of the heart through kindness. And then an extension or an expression of the heart through generosity. And I like this definition of generosity. The willingness to give liberally and often. Isn't that beautiful? The willingness to give liberally and often. It's like the idea of magnanimity, a great soul to give liberally, to give often. And we say, well, to give what? To give whatever is needed that we can give. We're not asked to give something we can't give. But the intention to live with, with the practice of generosity, if that really is our intention, it oozes out into all areas of our lives, impacting our generosity of time, our generosity of talent, and our generosity of resources to give liberally and to give generously. He writes, generosity is expressed in our actions, but it always begins with an attitude, the willingness to give at every opportunity. I put in my notes here something about my daughter. And I don't often talk about the kids anymore, and they're not kids, they're young adults, but you know, moms will always look at their kids as kids. But over the years, as I've watched her grow, I have personally been inspired by a young woman whose generous heart inspires me to be more generous. Every single birthday, I think, Jen, you try to, to do a fundraiser for organizations. Jennifer has nonverbal learning disability, which she has a podcast about. And without ever even saying, Mom, Dad, I'm doing this, all of a sudden we see on her Facebook Posts that for her birthday, she's asking people to support this organization or that organization or gives to the church or gives to, you know, text to Red Cross when there's a, a disaster. And I think it's not about the amount. It's the quickness of the heart that says, I want to do something. And I believe that each of us in this room really are that way. And that culture, maybe, or fear causes us to pull back. But what would happen if we paid a little closer attention to that spirit in us that says, but I can give here, or I can make a difference there. I've got some time, or I have this skill, or I have this talent. It's only when I think we set the intention for ourselves to show up in this sort of way that we begin to change the quality of our life and we begin to continue the rippling effect of positive goodwill. And so it's universal benevolence, not because someone or something deserves it. That's not the motivation. The motivation is because we choose to live our lives from this great spirit, this great soul within us. I want to close with a couple more thoughts from Bob. He writes, deep spiritual practice helps to liberate us from bondage to our ego identity. 
So when we are practicing in this way, when we set the intention to approach life, to approach the other with a, an attitude and an energy of goodwill, we begin to turn down the volume and the energy and the bondage that we sometimes experience to the ego. He writes, the ego's inclination is always in the direction of its own self-interest. It's always thinking, what about me, me, me? And is continuously afraid of not getting what it believes it needs to survive. The ego is preoccupied with getting what it wants and avoiding what it doesn't want. When identified with ego, we are constantly trying to prove we are right, we are good, and we are in control. Transformative practice will bring the ego's hidden attachments and resistance into conscious awareness. Simply recognizing resistance without reacting to it is a major part in transforming ourselves. Another big part is being willing to consciously experience whatever is beneath the resistance. So the resistance to show up in benevolence, trying to recognize what is beneath that resistance. Below our resistance lies an unhealed wound and with it a certain amount of unfelt pain. The wound is unhealed because it has not been recognized and experienced consciously. That goes back to the practice two weeks ago of deep self-acceptance. The healing lies in seeing and feeling this pain without suppressing it, acting it out, or engaging in drama. We just see it, accept it, feel it, and let it go. And so a couple of closing thoughts with universal benevolence. He wrote this, and I had to smile because it's certainly been my experience in my life as well. He says, a possible unexpected outcome of this practice of universal benevolence is that you will draw more difficult people into your life. <laughs> I think that's true. And I think it's um, Pema Chodron. I don't, I've done a number of series with um, her books. I really value her wisdom and her insight. Um, I believe Pema Chodron writes about, we need a sandpaper to our soul person in our lives. We really do. That's where we are expected to practice patience and understanding and tolerance. So, so it's kind of like a disclaimer, but I hope it doesn't send you running away from the practice. A possible unexpected outcome is that we'll draw more difficult people into our lives. So if you find that happening, take a deep breath. Pull yourself away from the person for a moment if you're right with them. Take a deep breath, smile, and say, thank you, God. <laughs> this is what she meant, or this is what Bob meant, or this is what Pema meant. Here's an opportunity for me to practice. Here's an opportunity for me to practice. Then he also says, invariably, when he teaches these ideas, someone will throw up the extreme. And of course, our minds do go to the extremes, right? And someone will say to him, well, universal benevolence, I'm supposed to practice that towards somebody like Hitler, that seems to be the one that always comes up. And much like I said in my lesson last week on unlimited forgiveness. We want to stop with the hypothetical. We want to start and continue to do the work right where we are with the people that are in our lives. And if, in fact, there is someone in your life 
that is really, really, really difficult for you to even begin to hold the thought of universal benevolence. Don't let, don't let that keep you from the intention to practice it in all the other places that you can. Because often what will happen over time is something will, your capacity to be more, your capacity for understanding, your capacity for forgiveness, your capacity for benevolence will begin to deepen and expand. So don't be unrealistic with yourself. Don't make excuses, but don't be unrealistic. Be willing to practice it where you are the very best you can. Namaste.